Awesome. If you got your Bibles, I've got a lot of scripture I want to read through. So I'm going I'm to like blitz through this because it's a lot. So don't be scared by the amount of words that pop up on the screen for the next minute or two. Um, but if, you, if you're taking notes, I've got a title for my talk. Um, it's Looking for Donkeys. That would be the title of my talk, Looking for Donkeys. Um, I shared this talk on uh, Encounter Conference, Youth Conference, um, and I felt to share it with you. I've tweaked it a bit, but I felt to share uh, basically the same sermon with you. So if you didn't make it to conference, I'm bringing conference to you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, so first, I'll let you guys know it's a little bit all over. Um, I'm just taking verses. Um, so it's going to come up there. They're not going to be in the right order, but... Just follow along with me, it'll make sense in the end. Okay, so 1 Samuel 9 from verse 1 says, Now there was a man um, of Benjamin whose name was Kish, uh, the son of Abel, the son of Zor. I'm not going to go through all of them, but he was a mighty man of valor. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. It sounds like it's describing me. This is so cool. <laughs> From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the other people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, Take now with you one of your servants and arise and go search for the donkeys. Say donkeys. He passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, I like that word, uh, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, uh, but they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, I like that word too, Saul said that his servants, to his servant who was with him, come and let us return or else my father will cease to be concerned about the donkeys and will become anxious for us. He said to him, behold now, there is a man of God in the city and the man is held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey uh, on which we have set out. Then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. So they went up to the city, and as they came into the city, behold, Samuel was coming out towards them to go up to the high place. Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, about this time tomorrow I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel, and he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have regarded my people because of their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold the man in whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where the seer's house is. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys which were lost three days ago, do not send your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you, that, uh, for all your father's household? Saul replied, am I not a Benjamite, Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Then why do you speak to me this way? Um, as they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Say to the servant that he may go ahead of us and pass on, but you remain standing that I might proclaim the word of the Lord of you. Then Samuel took a flask. I'm actually going to go to stop there, but uh, basically what happens is Samuel anoints um, Saul as king over Israel. Um, and uh, Saul becomes a changed man, and it says that he goes up and he meets some prophets, and the prophets meet Saul. And Saul starts to prophesy, and people see Saul, and they say, Who's the Saul that, that prophesies? Is this the same Saul? And he basically becomes a new man after being anointed by God, right? Um, 
So I'll just give you a quick rundown of what happened there if, you, if it didn't make sense. But we got this guy Saul, right? And he's asked to go out and look for his father's donkeys by his father. His name's Kish. And he says, go find my donkeys. And he goes out for days and days past. He goes with his servant and they're looking for the donkeys. They can't find it here. They can't find it there. They can't find it anywhere. Um, and basically, he, he says, let's just give up. Let's go home. My father's going to start to worry about me more than the donkeys now. Let's get out of here. And the servant says to Saul, just, just wait. I, I know about a prophet. I know about this guy who can, he can, he can see into the spirit. He, he'll be able to tell us like, where the donkeys are. Let's go ask him. They go and find Samuel, and this is what happens. Samuel meets Saul, and, and he gets anointed king of Israel, right? That's, in a nutshell, uh, what we just read. So, but before we get into that, uh, I want to share with you guys a, a little bit of information about me, like get to know me time, right? Uh, so a few things that you might not know about me was uh, when I was younger, not so much nowadays, but when I was younger, um, I loved to do things that made me stick out. Um, I loved to do things that made me feel a bit different. Uh, so I've got some photos to prove it. So could you put up the first one? Um, this, is me. this is me at my wedding. Um, me and my crimson, we decided to wear bright uh, colored underwear and socks. I have no idea why, but that was us. The next one, that's me with the green stripy hoodie and the hair. Um, I decided to blonde my hair, uh, to uh, dye my hair blonde after, after matric and grow it out. Um, I didn't have a girlfriend for <laughs> all the time I had her hair, and I have no idea why. Um, still. Uh, next photo, that's me with my hair tied up. Um, so I, I don't know why, but I thought I looked pretty cool. No idea why. Next one, this is me deciding I was going to wear fishnet stockings for the day. Um, just because on the Seapoint Promenade in Cape Town. Uh, next one. This is one of my favorite. This is me in my pink tux. I've got a pink tux. Um, but I, I didn't just wear a pink tux for an event. I actually wore a pink tux at my, at my matric dance, which is on my next photo. That's me in my pink tux in matric. Um, that face that you see there in the corner, the bottom left, that's my girlfriend saying, what the hell is this? Get me out of here. <laughs> Who is this guy? What is he wearing? Um, I think there's one more. Yeah, that's me just wearing a Spider-Man top for the day. I was like, I'm going to be Spider-Man. I'm going to wear this top. Um, that's me. <laughs> so I think that's all. Yeah. Um, but of all the, the weird, like silly things that I used to do when I was younger, I think my favorite most prized possession that I, I'm so upset that I still don't have it, uh, but it's something called my fire shoes, and um, you guys might have heard this story before you did, you were in conference, uh, when I was in grade eight, um, I went to a school called Wymick Boys High School, and you, you have to do these uh, inter-house athletics competitions where all the boys in grade eight have to do athletics, uh, it's like you have to. Um, so in grade 8, I go to the Greenpoint Market at the stadium in Cape Town with my mom, and we're walking around, and just, I don't really care, I'm like, I don't really like markets, but then I'm walking past uh, this one stall, and I turn the corner, and I see them over there. I see them. I see them. My fire shoes. And you got to know something about my fire shoes. I wish I had a photo to show you guys, but I don't. My fire shoes were these bright, lumo, 
like burn your eyes when you look at them, like orange fade into uh, yellow, fade into bright, bright red with flames stitched on the outside. Um, and I thought these were the coolest things ever. I was like, these, I, mom, I stopped. I was like, mom, 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 come here, come here. Fire shoes. I need to get these fire shoes. She's like, and by now she, she'd obviously, she knew like, this is my boy. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to argue. Like, here you go, 200 bucks, whatever it is, buy the fire shoes. So I get my fire shoes and I decide when this inter-house competition comes up for athletics, I'm running the 200 meters. I'm like, I'm going to wear my fire shoes, you know? It's going to give me an extra step, an extra boost. I'm going to feel so cool. Uh, so I remember changing in the, the changing rooms uh, with the boys and uh, we're getting changed. <laughs> I take my tog back and I unzip it and I pull these shoes out and the guys are like, Sean, like, what? What is that? You're not going to put those on, are you? And guys, I, I absolutely love these things. I dropped all the dad jokes. I'm like, <clears throat> pull them out. I'm like, guys, the competition's about to heat up. I'm like, I start getting down, like doing like stretches, like these weird stretches. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, warming up. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I love a good competition. I, uh, you guys have met your match. You need to extinguish the competition. Like all these like lame, lame jokes. Like, I'm just going on. The boys are like, oh, shut up, please. Anyway. We get to the starting line, got my fire shoes on, I'm still going off with the dad jokes. The guys are like, Sean, please, shut up. And it's a 200 meters, so you, uh, you kind of start on halfway of the one side of the field, you, take, you go around, and then you run the straight all the way to the end, right? So I'm in the starting position, I hear the gun, and I go, head down, and, and I'm sprinting. I'm like, yes, I got this, I got this. I always thought I was kind of athletic, um, so I, I believe in myself. I'm like, I can do this. I go around the bend, and I start to get onto the straight, and I got my head down, and I look up, and there's no one in front of me. I'm like, yes, I'm in front. This is amazing. So I put my head down again, and all of a sudden, on the hill where all the boys are sitting, I hear them starting to scream, like, ah, come on, come on, come on. I'm like, what? what? They're cheering for me. They're cheering for me, man. This is so cool. So I'm like, yes, like, uh, you know, grade eight, these boys are cheering for me. I'm going to be a hero in my fire shoes. They're all going to put me up on their, on their shoulders and be like, Sean, your fire shoes, you're amazing. You know, it's like I got all these crazy pictures in my mind. And I noticed that the cheering is getting louder and louder. And while I'm running, I, I look up again and I look further and I see all the boys at the finish line or near the finish line. There's this massive gap between me and them. And I hear these, these, these footsteps or foot running, like, uh, footsteps, I guess, running steps behind me, and they're getting louder and louder. And the boys are getting louder and louder. I'm like, what is going on? And I turn my head as I'm running, and a guy called Muhammad Peterson is running behind me. And something you've got to know about Muhammad Peterson is he was the biggest, um, most unathletic guy in the whole grade, right? And he is starting to catch up to me, right, in my fire shoes. I'm like, this is not going to happen today in my fire shoes. This is not happening. And it, it got to, and the boys are getting louder. I hear these footprints, these running steps, whatever they are getting, <laughs> footprints, not footprints. <laughs> footsteps getting louder and louder and louder. And I just put my head down. I, I, I call on the power of the fire shoes and I just go. And eventually I just beat this guy. Like just, just. Because if I didn't, I was going to tell my mom, mom, get me out of the school, send me to bishops or whatever. I was like, I'm out of here. Um, but... I know it's a crazy story and there's a point to it, uh, but the point is this. This is the point. Life is not a 200-meter sprint. 
in your flashies. Life is a marathon. And, and on this marathon of life, we have something called seasons, right? It's not just a, I sprint from here to there and it's done. It's a long journey. And in this journey of life, we have something called seasons. And there's certain seasons where we need an encounter to move from one season in order to get to the next season. See, an encounter with God is so, so important. I mean, if you read the Bible, there are hundreds of stories about people who, who were a certain type of person. So I think of Saul, and Saul who became poor. We have Saul, this one type of person, and he radically encounters God, and he literally becomes like the opposite of what he was before. And there's hundreds of more stories, like Jonah. God says, do this. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. He has an encounter with God, a different type of encounter, still, a, still an encounter with God. And on the other side of the encounter, he's a different person, right? And you read your Bible and you see the, these stories of men and women who encounter God and they, and they move literally from one season in life, after the encounter, boom, into a brand new season. It's like that season, over. But the encounter is the door that opens up from one season into the next, See, and we, we as, as Christians, we are meant to move from glory to glory. Amen? Like from one season to the next, it's supposed to get more and more and more glorious on this journey called life. See, and I think this is where like millennials and my generation and the younger generation, like, like we really, really struggle with this. Um, I fully believe that millennials, like we struggle with seasons um, just because we're always looking at the end. We're always looking at, at the finished product. We're always looking at the finish line. We're always looking at, uh, like, that's it over there. Our mind is there. And we're never, uh, not never, that's a, that's a bit harsh, but we struggle to see what's in front of us. And we struggle to learn uh, the, the lessons, the life lessons, and the things that we need going through the journey that are going to help us get to there. When our minds are there, we miss out on what we need here which helps us to get there, if that makes sense. Is that making sense, right? Like, uh, like I, I've seen it a lot. I've heard, like, I talk to some people, they're like, yeah, I'm 24, like, young person, 24, relatively successful. And they're like, man, I've done nothing with my life. I've done absolutely nothing. I'm like, okay, wait, <laughs> just say this again. How old are you? Like, I'm 24. I'm like, okay, you're 24. Like, don't worry, like, it's okay. Like, you're still young. You're still very young. Like, it, it is gonna get better. And they're like, yeah, 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 I know, but I should be doing so much more with my life. I'm like, I totally understand that. But at the same time, life isn't a sprint. It's not a 200-meter sprint. It is a marathon. It is a journey. And I think somehow in our world of, like, social media, where everything is perfect, where we're constantly looking at the finished product, I mean, we can put up anything on social media, right? Anything. Anything to make us look good. I don't know if you guys get this, but, like, I don't put up all the bad stuff on social media, all the stuff that I put up on social media, like, it's all the good stuff, yeah? I, I want it to be the best pictures. I want it to be the best pictures of me at the right angle, with the right lighting on my face and my hair in the right direction, right? I'm like, I'll sit there. I'll take photos with me and my daughter, and we'll take three or four or five. And then what I do, I don't, I don't post any one of them. I post the best picture, yeah? And it's this weird, like, thing that millennials particularly, like, we have this idea that, and we see the world through this lens of, like, the finished product, like, the finish line, and, and that is it. And, and we can't understand, and I think that it's, it's robbed something of the church and the millennials and church of the journey and learning to be okay and content in the journey. 
Because I don't know if you guys know this, but God loves the journey. God is into the journey. Let me, in, let me, let you, let me let you in on a secret. That, that was a tongue twister. God is into the journey. Sometimes the journey sucks. Sometimes the journey is not exciting. Sometimes the journey is tough. It's inconvenient. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. But God is into the journey. See, another thing that you, you might not know about me is um, I love to cook. I love making food. Um, I'm not as good as Julian. If anyone's had food with Julian, like, I'm, I'm nowhere, on that, nowhere on that level. But I think I'm pretty good. I'm like, you get that, that basic, like, bachelor level where it's like egg on toast and spaghetti and meatballs in a can. I'm like two or three rungs up, okay? Um, I do most of the cooking at home, and I absolutely love it. And, and it all started when I came back from the States, and, and I took up a waitering job. And I didn't have any waitering experience before. Uh, so they said, okay, cool, we'll give you the job, but you've got to work two nights in the kitchen. So I was like, okay, cool, I'll do anything, let's go. And what they did is they put me on deep frying duties. So for two nights, and you know restaurants, like a lot of chips go through a restaurant in one night. So I literally just sat there, putting the potatoes through the machine, boom, and throwing them into the deep fryer and taking them out. Same thing, over and over, for two nights in a row. But something happened. The chef, he saw that I was, I don't know what he saw, but he saw that I was really good at timing maybe, um, of the, these chips, and like I could handle the kitchen. I'm not too sure what it was. And he said to me at the end of the two days, he's like, hey, bro, like you could actually be a really good chef. Why don't you come and intern with me and not do the waitering thing? And naturally, because I'm so humble, I went home and told Kelly that I'm the new Jamie Oliver, right? I was like, babe, like, watch out, Jamie Oliver coming through. Like, I'm going to start cooking. I'm doing all the meals. Stand back. Um, and, but I love cooking. Like, when people come to the house, I love to, we love to entertain them. And I love to, I love this. I sit them down at the table. We have a great conversation. And I'll pull out, I'll pull out the meal from the oven and I'll put it on the table. And everyone will tuck in and we're having great conversations. And I'll eat the food. And I'll say, Oh, Kelly, this food's amazing. And that's when I go, <laughs> no, 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 no. I made that. And they go, ah. Oh. You see that face right there? Ah, oh, I live for that. <laughs> I feel so much satisfaction with that face that, ah. Oh. I'm like, yeah, you didn't think I can cook. I can cook. So I, I absolutely love it. Like, it, it, it brings me joy. But the worst thing about cooking, right? The worst thing, and everybody knows where I'm going here. The worst thing about cooking and having people over is the dishes. I hate the dishes. I cannot handle the dishes. See, uh, now we've been blessed with the dishwasher, but before we didn't have a dishwasher and we used to take it in turns. And Kelly was very clever. When it was her turn, she would just get them done. Me, I procrastinate a lot, so I would sit for two or three days, and then they pile up, and I would just get irritated because I got a pile of dishes, and I'm like, oh, I hate dishes. I hate them. And there's a point to this too. (laughs) Got a lot of stories today. I absolutely hate them. But we all at some point in our life have to do the dishes. We all have to do the things that we don't want to really do or we don't enjoy doing. The truth is that we'd rather be doing something else. You see, there's something about doing the mundane that God is attracted to. There's something about doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do that attracts the heart of God. 
See, when I do the dishes, I might absolutely hate it. But what happens afterwards? Kelly comes to me and she's like, hey, babe, thank you so much. Like, I feel so appreciated. Like, I feel like you hear my heart. You know that when I have a clean house, like, I feel really loved. I feel really appreciated. Thank you. I love you. Kiss, kiss. Yeah. And what I want to share with you just um, quickly, I, I won't take too much of your time. But just three points from, from, this, um, from that first Samuel um, story that I, I read out to you. And the first point is this. About, it's all about learning through the journey. It's all about learning to see God in the mundane. That's what I want to talk about. It's a different kind of, different kind of sermon tonight. The first one is this. Doing the mundane things. God is attracted to the mundane. If you guys don't know what the word mundane means, uh, it means lacking interest uh, or excitement. It means dull. I remember doing a a youth camp uh, one year and I shared this kind of this talk and I spoke about the word mundane and finding God in the mundane. And I was like, hey guys, like, do you guys know what the word mundane is? And I I taught them, I was like, it basically means boring. And I was like, you got it? And they're like, yes, got it. And the next night my pastor came (laughs) to preach and he started talking about a mandate. And our mandate is to go out and, and preach the gospel. So he's like, he's, pre- he's preaching and he says, do you guys know what the word mandate means? And a little guy from the back of the hall shouts, boring. It's <laughs> like, oh, this is embarrassing. The youth pastor's teaching the teens to be disrespectful to the pastor. This is great. Um, anyway, it was terrible. I don't know why I told you that story. But anyway. <laughs> But the God is attracted to the person who can do the things that nobody else wants to do or don't seem important. If you want to see God move in your life, be willing to do the things that no one else wants to do. You see, everyone wants to do what feels good, right? Everyone wants to do the things that feel good. Everybody wants to be part of the movement where where it's all happening and everything's going, where it's all easy to serve. But what about when, it, when it's tough? What about when you don't have those, those good feelings? Like, what do you do in those moments? You see, I would always know uh, at my previous churches, I would always know who the leaders were in the youth group by doing this. I would, uh, so at the end of a conference, for instance, or an event, there would be a bunch of them just chilling on a table, like watching YouTube videos or whatever it is. And I wouldn't go up to them and say, hey, so-and-so, would you come and help me? I need to move these tables from here to here. Like, I, I wouldn't do that. What I would do is I would go pick up the table and intentionally p- walk at the table past this group of teenagers and nothing would happen. And I'd do it again. Pick up a table, walk past, nothing would happen. And I'd do it again and again and again until someone sitting at that table says, hey, Sean, can I help you? I say, yes, you can. And what I would do is I would invest into that person. And they would become some of the strongest leaders. Why? Because they understood that there's something important in doing the things that nobody else wants to do. See, if you're willing to do the things that nobody else wants to do, you'll eventually do things for God that nobody else can do. You can tweet that. Boom. <laughs> so when, you're, when your spouse asks you to wash the dishes, when your parents ask you to wash the dishes, clean your room, take the trash out, when your boss says, do this, uh, this like, menial, boring work over and over and over again every single day and you're stuck in that place where you're like, this is boring, I don't know why I'm here, this makes no sense, this is so mundane and dull and not exciting. Your parents ask you to look after your little brother or sister constantly. You're on a roster at church. 
They need people to, to uh, make tags for children as they come in. They need people to set up chairs or set down chairs. Like, it's all boring stuff, right? But if you guys don't realize and if you don't see properly, what is actually happening is in those moments, in partnering with the mundane, you're actually going through leadership 101. That's what's happening. The fastest way to grow as a leader, to grow as a Christian, is to, get, is to partner with the mundane. It's to like get into the mundane, the, the, the dull, the, the not exciting things, the things that nobody else wants to do. Like we all have dreams and desires to, to be on stage and hold a microphone. Like not all of us, but, but you get what I'm saying. Like it, it's easy to, to want to do the stuff that looks attractive. And we've got a generation who, who feel like they can only find significance in significant things. See, where in the kingdom, significance is found in looking for the insignificant things. That's it. You can react. <laughs> I'm not scared. <laughs> See, yeah. See, Saul was looking, and this is where I'll get back to the verse, Saul was looking for his donkeys, his father's donkeys. This is not the most glamorous way for God to meet a future king. But because Saul was obedient to his father, he was willing to do something that, most, that wasn't the most exciting, God met him in that place. He met him in the place of the mundane. I want to say to you, your work it might not be the most exciting place, but it's where God needs you to be. Your university, it might not be the most exciting place, but it's where God needs you to be. Your school, it might not be the most exciting place, but it's where God needs you to be. Your boss telling you to do the same work over and over and over again, you're like, why am I here? This makes no sense. It's where you need to be. God will meet you in that place. See, and in this moment, Saul, he's doing something that he probably doesn't want to do, right? Like, we've, we've all, like, we all have parents. So many things that our parents ask us to do, we just don't want to do. Like, imagine Saul saying, oh, okay, fine. Ugh. Ugh, donkeys, again. And he's just, he's like dragging his heels through the mud. He's like, I don't want to do this. But little does he realize on the other side of his obedience to his father in the mundane is his destiny as a king. Saul's destiny was found in the everyday obedience to the mundane. I want to ask you, how often do we miss God's destiny in our lives because we aren't willing to go through the mundane? You see, has our conference, has our conference culture, our, our Christian celebrity culture, has it made the run of the mill, the ordinary, has it made serving inconsequential? where we're always looking at the finished product and we're always looking at, at the good stuff, what looks good, what feels good, and we compare our everyday lives to everybody's Photoshop lives. You see this, I mean, I'm gonna, there's, there's videos of like Todd White, for instance, right? You guys know Todd White? Yeah, he's amazing. I watch his videos all the time. See, but where, where I struggle, a lot of people watch those videos and what they'll do is they'll, they, they think that's, that's it. That's what I gotta do right? That's ministry. That's how I got to live my life. By looking at a five-minute Todd White video that's been edited <laughs> to look, like, amazing. I got news for you. Like, Todd White's amazing. Like, I absolutely love him. Don't get me wrong. But what you're seeing there, that's not 100% of Todd White, yeah? That's like 5% of Todd on a good day, yeah? The rest of it, Todd is living it out. Todd is doing the mundane. Todd is just being obedient to God. Todd is just, I can imagine, he's just loving his wife, loving his kids, just doing what God's called him to do. But we see the finished product. We see what looks attractive. 
And we go after that and we say, that's it. And it might not be fun, but it's where God speaks. And Samuel tells Saul, in, in, in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of his obedience to the mundane, Saul meets Samuel and he, and he, he discovers his true destiny. And Samuel tells Saul that he's going to be king. This is your destiny. And what is Saul's reaction? This is my second point. Saul's reaction, I'm not worthy. He says, I'm not worthy. Second point is this, understand who you are. I don't know who uh, wrote this quote, but it's really good. It says, watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. That's beautiful. Because it all starts with your thoughts. For me, I'm going to share this sometime in one of the services, um, but I had anxiety for about 10 years of my life, like really bad anxiety, um, to the point where, um, and it got really bad, like I, I would have thoughts of me falling on the floor, having seizures and uh, dying, basically. And I, and I went into all these elaborate like um, thought processes of, if, even if I went into the toilet and locked the door, I would start to freak out because, like, what happens if I have a seizure and fall over now? Like, Kelly's not going to know or she'll know because I've taken too long. And by the time she knocks on the door, like, the ambulance, she's going to call the ambulance. That's going to be too late and I'm going to be gone. And I, and I would freak out, absolutely freak out. Like, it, it, it ruled my life for so many years. And I won't get into it because I really want to share it at church, but I got supernaturally de- delivered from that, like, instantly delivered um, from that. And it was an incredible, incredible thing. But the point is this, that it all started in my mind. That's where it started. Like, it all started with a thought that just popped into my mind that I started to entertain. And I entertained it more and more, and then it became thought processes and, like, like acts that played out in my head. And eventually it started to manifest in my body. And I want to say to you, what do you think about yourself? What do you think about, what do you think about yourself will affect your destiny? See, you are a worthy investment. Say, I'm a worthy investment. See, the price that Jesus paid on the cross showed the value of that which he purchased. See, if I think that I'm worthless, I'm no good, like I'm not good enough, I'm going to find it extremely hard to receive love, right? It's going to be almost impossible for me to to receive love because like I don't deserve that love, like I'm not good enough, right? And so many Christians think like us. They struggle to receive love from God. Because of that, that thinking of, I'm not good enough. And it's almost like to the point, and I know a lot of people, they do this, they distance themselves from God. Why? Because they've just been so hurt by rejection over and over and over and over again in their lives. And they can't handle the rejection. And they can't handle being rejected one more time by God. So what they do is they say, before God could even have the chance to reject me, I'm going to distance myself so he cannot even reject me. Like, like Christians, we, we go through this stuff, and it's called the orphan spirit. Any distance that we create between ourselves and God because of anything we've done is the orphan spirit. See, but if you believe the opposite, if you believe the truth, that you're a son, that you're a daughter, that you're loved by the king, that he has made you, that that you are perfect in every way, that you have a loving father that only has goodness and love for you, it'll change everything. It'll change the way we come to God. It'll change the way you think about yourself. You see, when I go to my dad's house, like my parents live in Cape Town, when I go to visit them, I don't, I don't go to my dad's house and, and get to the front door and then all of a sudden knock on the door. Uh, dad? Hey, dad, 
He's watching the TV. I'm like, Dad, yo, uh, can I come in? He's like, yeah, I'll open the door. And then, no, I don't do that. What do I do? I open the door and I walk in, right? I'm a son. I don't, I don't stand at the fridge. I'm like, I'm thirsty. I need some milk. Let's go to the fridge. <gasps> Dad, Dad, your son is thirsty. Can I please have some milk? Yes, thank you. Like, I open the fridge. I'm a son. I, there are certain things that are just being given to me because I am a son. What do you think about yourself? You see, I used to find it really hard to meet new people. Um, if you guys don't know, I'm actually quite an introverted guy. Um, you might be thinking, oh, okay, sure. I'm actually very introverted. Um, and I used to find it hard to like, meet new people. I used to struggle to like, actually connect with new people. Um, and I had this revelation one day. I was like, it just hit me. I was like, you know what? If you actually knew who I was, you'd really want to get to know me. <laughs> I was like, I'm actually pretty cool. And it wasn't an arrogance thing. It was a confidence thing because it came from understanding who I was in God, right? That's the difference. And it changed everything. Now when I walk into a room, I feel confident I can go up to people and say, hey, I'm Sean. This is who I am, right? Because I understand and I've changed my thinking about who I am. See, I know what God thinks about you guys. John 3, 16, it says, He loves you so much that He gave everything for you. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18 says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. See, you you are not worthless to God. You are not a bad person. You are not dirty. You are not useless. You are not a failure. You are a loved son and daughter of God. And He wants nothing more than to love you and be intimate with you. See, in Saul, in this moment, he was told, you're going to be king. You're going to be king. But what happened is his mind overrode the fact of what he'd just been told. And he believed that he couldn't do it because of his circumstances. Because what his circumstances told him said that I'm the smallest in my clan, in my tribe. I'm the smallest in my family. So I'm the smallest of the small. Like, sorry, Samuel, like, you got the wrong guy. It can't be me. And I want to say, like, how many times does God want to do something significant in our lives that because of circumstances around us and our thoughts and what we believe about ourselves, we say, God, I know you want to do that thing in Durban. I know you want to change my school. I know you want to change my my workplace and my family. But, like, uh, me, like, uh, I got this, I got this. Like, like, I think you got the wrong guy. And God's saying, like, no, like, I've got exactly the right guy. I've got exactly the right girl. Like, get out of your stinking thinking. Like, I paid an incredibly high price for you. Like, you are not defined by your past circumstances. You are not defined by what your past says you are. You are defined by who I say you are. And you are perfect. And I have a plan for you. And you are going to change the world. Like, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And if we're going to go to new levels of encounter, we need to change the way that we think about ourselves. We are sons and daughters worthy of love. See, but it's only an encounter that will get us there. And this is my third point. It's not a long point. I'm done. It's developing, third point is this, developing a lifestyle of encounter with God. See, one thing that will take you to new levels is an encounter with God. One thing that will take you from one season into the next is an encounter with God. Saul had an encounter with God. The Bible says that he was a brand new man after his encounter. I remember I got so many stories of encounters just going on camps and just being rocked by the presence of God and like just, 
I don't have time to go into them, but like incredible stories of encounter and how the encounter was great. It was amazing. But what was even more amazing is how I was a changed person when I got up off the floor and went back to my youth group and prayed for the sick just like I used to do before. But now that I encountered God, I'd pray for them and something would happen. Now when I, when I spoke to people about Jesus, it wasn't all this religious like garbage that would come out. It was like a beautiful like compassion and love that just poured out of me for people. And people would get saved and people would get touched. See, encounters are great and we need them, but they're not, they shouldn't just be a once-off event. Like it needs to become a lifestyle that we develop. Oh, Ben, thanks, bro. <laughs> thanks, dude. Such a servant. Yeah. I got tons. I got one, two, three waters now. Thanks, bro. <laughs> Doing the mundane. I love it. Um, but how do we, just my last few points, how do we move to an encounter lifestyle with God? How do we move from just going from one conference, boom, to the next conference, to the next service, to the next guest speaker who's in town, and we all just follow all the the encounter-driven events that go on in our city, right? How do we move from that to living out an encounter lifestyle within our heart? It's understanding that Jesus gave everything for us, and he requires us to give everything to him. That's where it starts. You see, God gave everything for us. He gave us Jesus. And he requires everything from us. He gave 100% and he requires 100%. You see, God wasn't sitting in heaven and, and seeing his children and saying, man, I love them so, so much. I need to give them 10% of myself. <laughs> Who represents 10% of me? Jesus, you represent 10% of me. Come. I'm like, no. He gave everything. Jesus represented it 100% of the Father and he gave that for us, everything. And the only requirement is that we would give 100% back to him, 100%. That my life wouldn't just be, I'm on fire for God here, and as soon as I leave those doors, like I'm, I'm back to how I was. That your life would be 100% for God every single day in every single circumstance. And one thing that we need to do is we need to get off a, this roller coaster of of emotions and spiritual like highs and lows see that's not the norm it shouldn't be the normal christian life you shouldn't encounter god in such a powerful way that it changes you forever and it changes you that you start to develop a lifestyle of encounter see it's having a revelation that god is madly madly in love with me that's where it starts i give a hundred percent to him because i realize that he is a hundred percent madly crazy in love with me and it changes something inside of you and you start to burn out of passion and not obligation see my responsibility as a christian is to stay in a place where i'm constantly encountering the love of god in my life not just jumping from one conference to the next or the next guest speaker who rocks up in town see and the thing about encounter and developing an encounter lifestyle is that it changes your perspective. See, when I start to live out a lifestyle of encounter every single day and I'm just allowing the love of God to wash over me and fill me and change my life and every single day I'm living out an encounter and not just coming to an encounter event once in a while, it changes my perspective. And what happens is I start to see the value in the mundane. I start to see things that other people can't see. 
I start to see that someone needs help over there. Nobody else is seeing it, but I see it. I start to see with the eyes of God. I start to see with the heart of Jesus. I start to see things. And it moves me into action. And when I move into that action, what's happening, I literally step into my destiny like Saul did. It's not about running after encounters. And encounters are great, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love them. But it's developing an encounter lifestyle. Because when we do, it changes our perspective. Can we just close our eyes? I just want to pray for us.